Welcome back to Nick Tiffany's Podcast Reviews, Episode 2. We are talking about Black Adam today, the Rock's hierarchy-changing DC film. Uh, about a month after release, it is now available on Video On Demand for a price before I'm sure it comes out on HBO Max. Is it worth it? Is 15 years of development hell worth it in the end? Uh, I am someone who loves DC. From comics to films, I am always excited for what they have to do. But I'm also cautiously optimistic when it comes to Warner Brothers films and getting projects done and not interfering with them. And so after many, many years of waiting, Black Adam is here. And I honestly really expected more. You know, the movie is so wrapped up in showing you just how powerful Black Adam is and just how great his presence is going to be and how challenging a force he is. And there's just, you know, you wish you had more about him as a character, where he came from, and more about how he got his powers before you start throwing in the Justice Society of America, who honestly were my favorite part of the movie. You've got Pierce Brosnan as Dr. Fate. You've got uh, Aldous Hodge playing Hawkman. Two characters who certainly steal some of the limelight from The Rock's Black Adam. Uh, you know, the fact that side characters end up being one of the most appealing parts of your movie is probably not a good sign. And so The Rock has something of a, a stumble on his hands because he's already kind of backtracked some of his comments about this being the greatest DC shakeup in the world. And we're already leaning into the fact that, hey, we're bringing back another fantastic DC character and Superman, and I, The Rock, did that. And, you know, kudos to him, because I think he was definitely a huge hand in bringing back Henry Cavill to the DC universe. But when you start promoting movie news outside of your own film, it just shows you that maybe you could have spent a little bit more time refining the film. Uh, the film done by, uh, and I'm totally going to botch this name, I've been trying to find its pronunciation online, uh, Hame Colette Seurat, who directed Disney's Jungle Cruise, um, The Shallows with Blake Lively, one of those shark movies, and then he's also done three <laughs> different Liam Neeson, like, taken spinoffs, pretty much. Unknown, nonstop, run all night. Uh, there's not... A lot of substance in these stories. The spectacle is always there. Oh, we did The Commuter. There's another, there's a fourth Liam Neeson movie I'm looking at here. Um, you know, the the style is certainly interesting. The effects, uh, especially when it came to Dr. Fate and Hawkman, uh, were fantastic. You get a lot of actually really cool kills in this movie, which the film touts, hey, you know, we were almost rated R because we were just pushing the boundaries so hard about how badass Black Adam could be. And then, you know, you get a two-and-a-half, three-minute montage of his first attack on uh, those attacking him. And while the action's cool and interesting, they've got it set to paint it black. And I'm just so sick of these comic book movies shoehorning in certain songs to either, you know, Nice, nice little tongue-in-cheek, oh, painted black for Black Adam. Um, it just completely removes you from the seriousness of the scene. Um, and it was just obnoxious. As soon as the first note started playing, it was like, oh, come on. You know, from a film studio 
who's got Hans Zimmer at their disposal, who's crafted some of the most dark and gritty and just most sound-transforming soundtracks. I mean, this is what you get. And don't even get me started with Baby Come Back, a song that is shoehorned in not once but twice into this movie by a cheesy side character for a nice laugh right in the middle of a ton of action and serious storytelling. I don't know if they're trying to be Marvel when they do this or if they're trying to appeal to different bases or get that little laugh. The movie doesn't have to be funny. And if it's going to be funny, let it be funny on its own. We don't need this little quick comic relief when we're already not even totally invested into the seriousness of this story. And Black Adam suffers from something that I think a lot of comic book properties have suffered from this year. And unfortunately, that's putting half the film or the plot into a young character. Some young kid who you've never seen before. Who's not the reason you're here for this movie. Whether it's Doctor Strange. Whether it's Thor, Love and Thunder. Or whether it's this film. You've got semi-annoying, and in Black Adam's case, a very annoying child actor who is half of a protagonist helping talk to Black Adam and get him up to speed and telling him about catchphrases he needs to have. And it's exhausting. It's so obnoxious. And it just feels like you're watching a Disney Channel show where you've got this know-it-all kid who's just spouting the lines that the script gives him that just feel unnatural coming out of their mouths. Um, you've got this kid who's fighting political unrest and protesting all these foreign nations who have been power grabbing the nation of Kondok, where Black Adam is from. And you have his mom, who's been fighting her entire life and who's been searching for a way to help her people. And rather than have her be the one who talks and gives these great speeches and inspiring deals, you've got Marty McFly Jr. skateboarding around, tricking armed guards. It's just really cheesy. And it's just really, I'm like, I'm so tired of comic book films or any film not focusing on their subject. For a Doctor Strange movie, it should have been about Doctor Strange. But that's what got booted the original director out of his place for Doctor Strange 2. He wanted to make a Doctor Strange sequel about Doctor Strange. And Marvel says, hey, no, you know, we actually need you to blend the multiverse now. And we need you to have Wanda so we can cap off WandaVision payoff from that TV show. We're also going to bring in this new young character who's going to be great. And she can travel through the multiverse. And half of it's going to be about her, too. And then there's going to be a little bit of that Doctor Strange horror story that eventually became the episode of What If. And, you know, Scott Derrickson is someone who is a great horror thriller director. Clearly, he and Benedict care about the property because Benedict Cumberbatch was the one who fought to have so much of the weird body horror and all these things included in Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness. Because the director wasn't going to play ball. He said, no, I'm going to make... A Doctor Strange movie or I'm not going to make your movie and so they said fine we'll get someone else to come and make it and then they got Sam Raimi to do it and then there's all this extra jokiness in the film too and so I and then Thor Love and Thunder they're like what if we had our kids film the movie with us which you know I'm like if your kid's an extra 
Sure. But I keep reading stories about all these Hollywood children now who are like, oh, my kid didn't talk to me for a week because I didn't cast him as my child in this movie. I'm good. That's what actors are for. There's, a, you know, children, child actors like a young Leo or a young Tobey Maguire. They're who you're looking for, not your actual child. And there's just so much of this focus at the end of Thor on let's use the children and they'll all become Thor to help. And it's like, really? You've gone so far for the jokes. You've gone so far into this child inclusion now that it's just like anything badass about Thor has just been stripped away from him. Anything awesome about Doctor Strange was set to the side. Black Adam takes a back seat in his own movie. His discussion largely online now has turned into, hey, you know, it's one of the highest rated fan movies of all time, despite what the critics say. Because I know sometimes, especially with comic films, there's a pretty big disconnect between entertainment and actual criticism. But you can do both. And in this case, we can be critical of Black Adam and we can ask for more. The Rock specifically asked that he not be included in a cameo, or as a villain, in Shazam. Which is the only property people would probably know Black Adam from, because Black Adam needed his own film to stand on his own. And so, you know, they put $100 million plus into marketing for this movie on a $200 million budget. They've made all of that back, and just a little change on top. And so, I don't think there's going to be much change at top as far as the DC hierarchy goes, you know. Yes, they've brought back Superman, and that was probably one of the more exciting parts of the film, is the idea that, hey, Superman is home after, I don't know how many years of being mishandled by Warner Brothers and not greenlighting a Man of Steel 2. So, you know, and, and lastly, I think that a big issue Black Adam, for me, really suffered from was like the Fantastic Four reboot they'd done some years ago with Miles Teller, Kate Mara, Michael B. Jordan, and Jamie Bell. That movie was hacked to pieces uh, by Fox at the time. And so, you know, there were so many stories behind the director and the writing of the script and everything. And what was left on the cutting room floor, there was like two minutes of trailer footage and all these scenes that never made it into the film. And when I watch the movie, you jump so quickly from halfway through your story arc almost to the climax at the end. You're like, hey, we're just going to go ahead and jump to the finale right now. And Black Adam takes a similar beat where it was just like, oh, are we doing this? Is this, huh, we're already here at the end? They choose to include a 10 or so minute sequence that helps their continuity by connecting it to some other characters and DC properties that largely feels unnecessary where you could have again had some actual story or some background for Black Adam or actually fleshing his character out with people and not a 12 year old child um, and then you jump right into the finish and so I you know I'm not better for seeing the movie I'm not worse for seeing it I'm excited to see how they could utilize him in future properties now that James Gunn of the Guardians of the Galaxy series and the Suicide Squad has now taken over as head of DC Films with uh, producer Peter Safran. You know, there's going to be some pretty interesting things to come from that. I'm going to go in and I'm going to we're going to do a whole Justice League podcast because there's a lot I can talk about when it comes to that subject. But for my worth, I'd save your money. I'd wait till Black Adam streaming. 
on HBO Max or something like that. I, I enjoy The Rock. I enjoy his enthusiasm for this. But that does not always equate to creating a good movie. And I hope going forward, this is a good lesson. It never seems to be for most films. That when you go and do a paint-by-the-numbers superhero film, it'll feel flat. I think audiences now more than ever are getting tired of superhero films. And so the bad is really starting to stick out more than the good. Or the lack of focus on character is really starting to irk people now. So I'm curious to hear what people will think. You know, I'll do another podcast about Doctor Strange and about Thor. Um, because those were two movies, you know, I was looking forward to. And which were also pretty big disappointments. It feels like the Batman really has been one of the only successful comic films in terms of quality and uh, reception. But I'm going to have to get you a non-comic review for the next episode. I'm going to be diving into Don't Worry Darling on HBO Max as well. So stay tuned for that. And as always, thanks again for listening, you guys. See you next time.